0: Hey guys, welcome back. As you can see, it's daylight. I did not shoot at nighttime in my apartment like I normally do because I just fell asleep, honestly. Um, So we'll begin this video. Actually, wait, I just got, if you see this remote anywhere, ignore it. This is my new teleprompter remote. I just bought a teleprompter so I can not look above the lens and you guys see me looking above the lens and trying to read off what I wrote on my phone. Um, now I have a teleprompter and I can just read directly through the lens and have no issues. I hope we'll see how this goes with editing. So yeah, let's start. Are you ready? Okay. It girl in crime, murder and mystery. I know a lot of you are here watching, expecting me to get right into the Shein Rico case. We'll first do a quick summary of how we even got here. Fast fashion has become a huge indicator of turmoil and addiction in a lot of people's lives. From my personal experience, this started in the days of Black Friday becoming a thing. For reference, from Britannica.com, the day following Thanksgiving, commonly referred to as Black Friday, has become one of the busiest shopping days of the year in the United States. National chain stores traditionally offer limited money, saving specials on a wide variety of goods in an effort to lure shoppers into stores while offering similar deals online. Also, it said the term dates back to the early 1960s. When police officers in Philadelphia began using the phrase Black Friday to describe the chaos that resulted when large numbers of suburban tourists came into the city to begin their holiday shopping and, in some years, attend Sunday's annual Army football game. The huge crowds created a headache for the police, whom worked longer shifts than usual as they dealt with traffic jams, accidents, shoplifting, and other issues. Within a few years, the term Black Friday had taken roots in Philadelphia. City merchants attempted to put a prettier face on the day by calling it Big Friday. The phrase Black Friday to signify a positive boost in retail sales didn't grow nationwide until the late 1980s when merchants started to spread the red to black profit narrative. Black Friday was described as the day stores began to turn a profit for the year and as the biggest shopping day in the U.S. In truth, most stores saw their largest sales on the Saturday before Christmas. In more recent years, Black Friday has been followed by other shopping holidays, including Small Business Saturday, which encourages shoppers to visit local retailers, and Cyber Monday, which promotes shopping online. Giving Tuesday has also been emerged to spur charitable donations. The obsession of getting the best deals at the cheapest of prices and trampling over whomever to get the deal was too important to contain for many. Black Friday, due to capitalism, has been brandished all over the world in many countries as a way to capitalize off of the consumer's want for items categorized higher than their social class. With the world evolving and shopping becoming more internet-wide, Cyber Monday had to make an appearance when the 1% saw a way to gain more money. But to get things such as Cyber Monday and online shopping, we have to understand how we got there with e-commerce. The word or technical term e-commerce goes in tangent with online shopping. We continuously ask consumers here about e-commerce, but I don't know about y'all. I had no clue what it meant before this video, honestly. E-commerce or electronic commerce is the buying and selling of goods and services or the transmitting of funds or data over an electronic network, primarily the internet. And an e-commerce business uses digital methods to sell products and services to customers. E-commerce businesses can be online only or have a physical presence as well. Selling to customers online typically requires a website or digital storefront, plus a way to process payments digitally and ship orders to customers. Shopping online becomes more advanced and more evolved for the individual consumer, with the companies such as Meta selling our online data and information to ad conglomerates. With this exchanging of information from the tech-savvy corporations, we got into fast production. From eBay to Amazon to PayPal and to Apple were the beginning of mass production phase for mobile and internet users. But before we go on, hey y'all, I'm Jay, and you're about to start chapter four of It Girl in Crime, Murder, and Mystery. That can be viewed on all streaming platforms. This is where I discuss in detail true crime instances and mysterious circumstances that affect marginalized peoples, old, young, and or disabled. The content discussed will always be referenced and sometimes linked in the description box. If you can, please follow me on Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other streaming platforms that can be found here with this QR code on the screen or in the description box. I also have a segment on all podcast platforms called Thursday Minis. It's short form content about cases and stories that do not have enough info to be long form. These episodes come out on Thursdays and are broadcasted on every podcast platform except for YouTube. Just type in It Girl in Crime, Murder, and Mystery on your podcast service of choice. Now, I got the idea for this chapter from a recommended post from The Shade Room on Instagram. I don't normally indulge in their content, which is why I was surprised to see them advertised on my page. Anyways, here's the headline I saw and what it said, and I quote, Shein named Enrico racketeering and copyright infringement lawsuit. Today, I will go over what fast fashion is and why it's bad, the origins and background of the company Shein and others, and the controversies Shein has gotten in over the years. Now, before I go on, hit that follow button and come along this journey with me. Let's begin. Here's a quick timeline of how we got here with fast fashion and mass production. In 1969, two electrical engineering students from Columbus, Ohio, launched CompuServe, which becomes the country's first ever commercial online service. In 1979, English inventor Michael Aldridge uses a transaction process computer and a doctor television to create the very first secure data transmission, laying the groundwork for online shopping. In 1982, the first online marketplace, Boston Computer Exchange, opens for business. In 1995, influential e-commerce marketplace, Amazon and eBay, launch. Both companies complete one million transactions by 1997. Then in 1998, e-commerce payment system, PayPal, debuts, giving consumers a trusted artery to handle both personal and business-related financial transactions. In 2000, Google debuts Google AdWords, giving e-commerce businesses the power to advertise through Google's search tool. In 2005, Amazon launches Amazon Prime membership. In 2009, Square debuts, allowing retailers to accept debit and credit card payments through an app. In 2014, Apple introduces the mobile payment and digital wallet tool, Apple Pay. The intensity of Black Friday and e-commerce during sales have honestly gotten worse and more pretentious as the consumer interaction between these transactions lessens. According to goodonyou.eco, clothes shopping used to be an occasional event, something that happened a few times a year when the seasons changed or when we outgrew what we had. But about 30 years ago, something changed. Clothes became cheaper, trend cycles sped up, and shopping became a hobby. Enter fast fashion and the global change that now dominate our high streets and online shopping. Fast fashion can be defined as cheap, trendy clothing that samples ideas from the catwalk or celebrity culture and turns them into garments and high street stores at breakneck speed to meet consumer demand. The idea is to get the newest styles on the market as fast as possible so shoppers can snap them up while they are still at the height of their popularity and then, sadly, discard them after a few wears. It plays into the idea that outfit repeating is a fashion faux pas and that if you want to stay relevant, you have to sport the latest look as they happen. It can form a key part of the toxic system of overproduction and consumption that has made fashion one of the world's largest polluters. Let's get into the reasons of why fast fashion is horrible, from toxins to illegal working conditions. A lot of this info is from pebblemag.com. Fast fashion is notorious for its wasteful clothing production methods and water usage is one of the biggest culprits. It takes up to 10,000 liters of water to produce just one pair of jeans. Considering that over a 6 billion pairs of jeans are made each year, it's easier to start feeling bluer than your denim about how much water is wasted by the fashion industry. And that's just one type of product. This type of waste water often goes untreated and contains toxic substances such as lead, mercury, and arsenic, which can be incredibly harmful to aquatic and human life. Microfibers and microplastics, despite their small size, are a big deal. Microfibers and synthetic fabrics shed from clothing made of polyester and nylon, while microplastics are tiny plastic particles. Every time we do laundry, we unknowingly release these microfibers into the water system, eventually making their way into the oceans and becoming part of the food chain. Synthetic fabrics such as polyester and nylon can shed up to 700,000 microfibers per wash. It's difficult to imagine that many microfibers escape into our waterways with every load of laundry. But the reality is that cheap clothing is a significant source of plastic pollution. All these microfibers and plastics continue to accumulate in their environment. They pose a significant threat to marine life. Marine animals ingest these particles, which can cause physical harm, and the toxins in the microplastics can accumulate in their bodies, ultimately making their way into the food chain. If you enjoy seafood you're likely also consuming these microplastics research shows that an average person may ingest up to five grams of microplastics weekly while it may not seem like much it is equivalent to consuming a credit card's worth of microplastics every week fast fashion is a massive contributor to greenhouse gas emissions if the demand for fast fashion continues at its current rate, the total global market emissions of our clothing could reach 26% by 2050. To put this into perspective, our current global carbon emissions for clothing stands at 10%, which is already more than the combined carbon footprint of all international flights and maritime shipping. Cotton cultivation alone produces 220 million tons of CO2. This means that in just 32 years, the carbon footprint for clothing is expected to more than double or more if the fast fashion market continues to dominate clothing consumption. One of the main reasons why fast fashion has such a large environmental impact is that producing, manufacturing, and transporting millions of garments each year uses a lot of energy. Another factor contributes to the environment impact of the fast fashion industry is the synthetic fabric used in most cheap clothing, which are generated from fossil fuels. With everything we can currently blame large oil corporations for, it's safe to say we can add this to the list. Now, healthy soil and forests are essential for producing food and preventing global warming by absorbing CO2. Fast fashion brands are devastating our environment, including soil, woodlands, and ecosystems. Everyone knows that the wool we find in our jumpers, cardigans, and scarves come from goats and sheep. The vast majority of these animals are raised entirely for their wool and often use unsustainable and unethical farming practices. Aside from carving out huge swaths of wild land to dedicate to the agricultural industry, many are continuously and excessively left to overgraze their pastures. This causes damage to the land in the form of soil erosion, land degradation, loss of value, and food shortages or famine. All that do construction for a simple sweater. Wood pulp-based fibers such as rayon and viscose require a steady supply of trees leading to mass deforestation. Thousands of hectares of endangered rainforests and 70 million trees are felled annually to ensure the production of wood-based fabrics. This practice harms the earth and the indigenous local communities that rely on these natural forests. It is sad to think that the loss of beautiful native trees is due to the production and supply of underwear. Chemicals used throughout textile production and manufacturing pose significant environmental and human health risks. The textile industry uses 8,000 synthetic chemicals accounting for approximately 25% of global chemical output. From farm to factory to fast fashion, One cotton t-shirt contains an average total of 17 teaspoons of chemicals. I don't know how to say this, but phthalates, a group of chemicals used to make plastics more flexible and durable, you know, like they need to be in fabric, are commonly used in activewear and have been linked to cancer and endocrine disruption. Flame retardants used in other clothing items can accumulate in both the environment and fatty tissues of the body, causing health problems such as infertility and neurotoxicity. When pursuing the shops, you might think sustainable fabrics such as bamboo and cotton might be safer. Don't let this fool you. Even garments labeled 100% natural will still contain chemicals and toxins. A significant problem with fast fashion brands is that most items, including unsold dead stock, returns, and those disposed of on the consumer end, are neither recycled nor donated. Even if they are donated, as only 15% of clothing is in America, less than 20% of that donation will find a second life. The rest join the USA's 21 billion pounds of annual textile waste. The fast fashion clothing industry in particular has created a humanitarian crisis that has remained largely hidden from the public eye. Garment workers face an unbearable workload, receive meager pay that falls below the living wage, and work in hazardous conditions. Unsafe conditions are far from the only fast fashion issues as they relate to labor rights. Poverty wages, human trafficking, and slavery Child labor, physical and sexual abuse, most garment workers are female. And overall exploitation can also be added to the long list of reasons why fast fashion is bad. Workers' welfare should not be compromised for the sake of profit, and their safety and dignity must be upheld at all times. A more sustainable garment is less valuable if the workers aren't treated fairly. Now guys, that was mostly statements from Pebble Mac. Now, who started a lot of these fast fashion companies? Richard Sagian is the chief executive of privately owned Fashion Nova, a fast fashion company and a social media phenomenon that has achieved rapid growth through its work with influencers and its speed at delivering trend led pieces. Sagian was introduced to retail through his father, who owned women's clothing stores, where Sagian worked during his summers. He founded Fashion Nova in 2006 as a chain of stores selling low-priced clubwear and apparel in Los Angeles area malls. He launched the e-commerce site in 2013, and Instagram was central to the online business from the start. With 60,000 followers on his personal account prior to the launch of Fashion Nova, Sagian parlayed his bordering macro influence into a loyal following for his then-emerging brand. Jumping on the social media marketing wave early, Sagian was one of the first to recognize that social platforms would soon be integral to successful branding. Now, during the height of the YouTube makeup and beauty influencer era, Fashion Nova became a huge fast fashion brand from the U.S. that had undeniable quality for women with some curves and a booty or a BBL. Regardless of the physical appearance of the infamous Fashion Nova models such as Udite, also known as Jody on IG, and Janet Guzman, people wanted the jeans and stylish clothes seen on the enhanced models. Overconsumption was filled in this time of YouTube by content creators looking to help their viewers bring together creative outfits on a budget, usually from Zara, Fashion Nova, and a bit later comes Boohoo and Pretty Little Things. These fast fashion brands from Western countries were doing very well with low-key allegations from these billionaires and their companies getting investigated by workers from being paid just $4 an hour at suppliers' factories. This really didn't have an impact on these companies, and allegations weren't the end all up until the 2020 pandemic. So I have never shopped at Shein. I personally first started hearing about this company through fast fashion influencers and friends online around 2020. Everyone was shopping at Shein, and not to be elitist or like I'm better than anyone, but the main reason I never shopped at Shein is because the clothes on everyone I saw looked paper thin and cheaper than cheap. Not to be shady. How did Xi'an even start, you ask? According to Forbes, founded in 2008, Nanjing-based Shein is aimed squarely at Gen Z, luring young shoppers via Instagram and TikTok and a barrage of discount codes for low-cost styles, with a dress costing just half that of a Zara equivalent, according to Associate General. The story really starts at the beginning of 2012, when notoriously hard-working founder CEO Chris Zhu sometimes known as Yang Xianju, Zhu, an American-born graduate of Washington University, gave up his wedding dress business to acquire the domain Xianside.com. Initially selling women's clothing in 2015, he renamed the company Xi'an, focused on overseas markets, and began snapping up fashion rivals. Okay, I'm pausing my teleprompter right now to discuss the owner. So, I was looking, like everybody else has done prior to me, probably when they did Xi'an videos, who the heck is the owner? They say his name, but you cannot find legitimate actual pictures of the owner of Xi'an. None of us, even the government, doesn't even legitimately know who the owner is. But also, they're saying that he is American-born, but some places say he's Chinese-born and just lived in China his whole life. And so it's just like... Very sketch she and how it actually started. My guess is that this is a fake name. I think it's a group of people that own the company Shein, not just one person. And I think there's multiple people, some Americans, maybe, you know some Ch- of course Chinese people are involved. Well, I think a lot of rich people may have been involved. With Shein at the start and giving investments to the company because you're going to tell me we just know one name of a person, the owner, but no, no pictures can find nothing about him ever or out at all. I don't believe it, guys. I think that, yeah, it's definitely not one person that owns Shein. It's multiple people. Leave it at that.
1: This is Chris Zhu, the founder and CEO of Xi'an. He's mentioned here in federal documents as a mysterious tech genius with whom almost nothing is known. Some reports say that he's Chinese American and studied in the States. Other reports say that he was born in China in 1984 and has lived there his entire life. He is a man of mystery so much so that on the results page for his own name, there's a man who's not him. When you go to images, two different men show up. Man A is this like avatar-like image of a man in a power stance with his arms crossed. There is only one version of this man and it's in this image, and sometimes it's on different background colors, sometimes it's facing left or right, but it's only this version of this man's face. You will not find any professional photos, any candid photos of a man who looks like this attached to Sheehan. And B is a slightly older man with glasses who's commonly mistaken as Chris. Again, in search results, a closer look. His photos sometimes used on social media and incredible press when it comes to Sheehan. But that man is actually Chris Hsu, a professor at Cornell, the closest thing I can find is this slide that reportedly has the photo of Chris and the names he's gone by. That would make this the real Chris and this a fake photo or an extremely yassified version of him. I mean, if Elon Musk can do it. If you're interested, here are the other co-founders that are on this sheet. Um, it should not be this hard to find out who owns and who runs this company. If he, a CEO of a multi-billion dollar fast fashion company that you guys obsess over and give your money to almost every single day, if he can be a ghost, If he can disappear in the world, what do you think happens to, like, conflict in the supply chain? If you are an influencer, I beg of you, do not fly out of the country on a brand trip for a company that you don't even know. The U.S. government doesn't even know who's in charge of it. Anyway.
0: Okay, guys, let's start back. The U.S. is now Shein's largest market. While it also ships to 220 other countries, rapid growth has been propelled by a series of funding rounds. Most recently, completion of Series E financing in 2020, which gave Sheehan an eye-watering valuation exceeding $15 billion. Revenues are not disclosed, but are locally estimated in excess of $10 billion annually and have continued to soar throughout the pandemic, while it currently counts a number of Asian and international VCs and private equity houses among its backers. To service the U.S. market, products are sent from Shein's warehouse in Foshan, Guangdong Province to a warehouse near Los Angeles, California. And fulfillment can take over 10 days, but its affordability has ensured a loyal customer fan base, lured by an ever-changing roster of women's clothing and accessories, added at an average of 2,000 SKUs every day. All this, remember, for a company that didn't even have its own supply chain before 2014. However, faced with soaring demand, Zhu created an in-house design team and within two years had assembled an 800-strong army dedicated to designs and prototyping for ultra-fast production. It also garnered a reputation for timely payment, something of a rarity in China, and as a result, when Xi'an moved its supply chain operations center from Guangzhou to Panyu in 2015, almost all of its factories it worked with relocated. Xi'an from the hundreds of factories that work with the company have coalesced in a production cluster bearing close similarities to A Coruña in northeast Spain, where into Texas headquarters are surrounded by its upstream and downstream suppliers. It has four R&D facilities in Nanjing, Shenzhen, Guangzhou and Hangzhou, plus six logistics centers in Foshan, Nansha, Belgium, India, and on the east and west coasts of the U.S. It also has seven customer service centers based out of Los Angeles, Liege, Manila, Yowu, and Nanjing, and employs more than 10,000 people. This shared information was by Mark Faithful, a global retail and real estate specialist of Forbes. So we have a lot of information about these companies and an in-depth look into what fast fashion is and the companies involved and why the fast fashion industry is toxic, so to speak. So now we will get into the controversies of the company Shein and how shocking they are negatively affecting the world. Some of the first controversies I noticed of Shein and other fast fashion brands were of the taking of other fashion designers' intellectual property. Designers were coming forward in droves and informing social media of the stealing of their one-of-a-kind designs. And since designers all over the world were making their clothes themselves, they can't compete with the mass-producing conglomerates like Shein. Besides thievery and Shein's pollution to the earth, one of the major crimes I need to highlight is the human slavery illegal child labor, and sweat-like shop conditions that workers in China and other countries are being subjected to. Investigations into factories producing Shein garments have discovered multiple labor violations. One UK investigation into a factory producing Shein clothing found that their workers were paid a base salary of $556 US a month, while their first month's pay was being withheld from them, guys. Other factories paid a total of $0.04 per item. Workers in both factories worked 18-hour-long days and were given only one day off a month. Can y'all imagine? As one worker noted, there's no such thing as Sundays here. Further, workers faced heavy financial penalties, two-thirds of a day's wage, more than they were paying the workers to make garments to begin with if they made a mistake on a garment. These conditions are a far cry from Chinese labor laws that state a 44-hour maximum work week with at least one day off a week. Xi'an has a code of conduct which forbids breaking labor laws, but Shein does not seem to be enforcing this code of conduct with its third-party factories.
2: Previously, customers have gone viral claiming to find hidden messages on the tags of clothes or notes in the clothing from factory workers at Shein. The company says it has zero tolerance for forced labor and claims it has implemented a robust system to ensure compliance with U.S. law. We need to take it upon ourselves to call out this greenwashing, to call out this moral bankruptcy, when we see it, where we see it, as loud as possible.
0: Now, does Xi'an use child labor? Unfortunately, the answer is more than likely. China, like the U.S., has child labor laws that prohibit employment for children under 16 which restrict children from working in hazardous environments and limit the number of hours children in school can work. But based on revelations that have already come out, it's hard to imagine that factories making sheen clothing are forcing unreasonably long hours and low wages on the workers and drawing the line at child labor. Come on, guys. As of yet, there have been no major investigations into Shein using child labor, but the issue is Shein's lack of transparency and accountability. When companies don't closely monitor or have auditing of their third-party suppliers, severe labor violations like child labor are often present. An added controversy as of recent are the American influencers brought to a fake Xi'an factory in order to have these influencers put out unknowing propaganda due to their desperation of wanting to be included and seen. Xi'an, pronounced In flew a group of young and diverse tastemakers on an all-expense-paid trip to Guangzhou in Southeast China to tour some of its manufacturing facilities. So we already know that was a fake factory, right? The goal, show those influencers' followers that contrary to ongoing reports, the company's operations are all above board. Some of the stupid influencers that went on the Shein propaganda trip and defended Shein after are Danny Carbonari, whom had the biggest mouth, lest we forget, Destine Suduth, and Kenya Freeman, a fashion designer, Who has worked with Shein for two years.
2: Shein is doing everything they possibly can. So basically a breakdown of the company and how they work, they branch out to manufacturers to create their clothing outside of Shein. Now these manufacturers have to apply by a code of conduct that aligns with the international labor laws. So it's not even Shein's laws, but it's the international labor laws. So within this code of conduct, they cannot have improper labor practices. They have to have responsible manufacturing, civic rights and worker safety at all times. If they don't, they get cut off immediately and they can no longer manufacture for Shein. You gots to go. Chien conducts thousands of audits. So basically they are constantly auditing these manufacturers to make sure that they are up to code with all of the code of conduct and the international laws. I believe last year they said they did around 2,800 audits alone. So some other things I gathered was Shein's goal is to make low cost affordable clothing. It gives the ability for all people to partake in fashion which I think is so important. Not only affordability but size inclusivity. They go up to a 4x which a lot of fast fashion brands don't. They also have fabrics that are ethically made. They have a ton of recycled fabrics. If you look at their carbon footprint they also have a very low carbon footprint compared to many fast fashion brands. Their goal is to have wasteless production. They want to produce very small amounts so they only produce what is needed not more than that. It allows them to have an business but keeps the material waste and the environmental impact down so i feel super confident working with shein this is a new playlist i'm created called shein 101 and i'll be talking to you guys about shein my thoughts on them what i'm doing with them exciting things we have coming up
0: listening to danny try to play on everyone's stupidity and that video is just disgusting and to continue to make posts and do interviews saying Shein's actions aren't your own and that we can't comprehend Shein outside of the lies, is just the influencers gaslighting and lying as per usual. One of the reasons why people don't even trust influencers. Hmm. Now, losing influence and credibility was not on any of those desperate influencers bingo card in 2023. Thicker women or dark-skinned women being overlooked in the influencer space isn't a reason to infringe on others' human rights and also make a mockery of their work environments because you were desperate to be acknowledged. And now look, it backfired. All money isn't good money, y'all. Now, let's get into the charges that the government has placed on Xi'an. What even is a RICO charge? The Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations, a.k.a. RICO Act, is a United States federal law that provides for extended criminal penalties and a civil cause of actions for acts performed as part of an ongoing criminal organization. Now, can an international Chinese company such as Shein even be held accountable by U.S. federal law? Well, an international company like Shein, which is based in China, can be subject to U.S. federal law under certain circumstances. However, the specific applicability of U.S. federal law to a foreign company like Shein would depend on several factors, including the nature of the company's activities within the United States and the type of legal claim or jurisdiction involved. Here are some key points to consider. Jurisdiction. In some situations, U.S. federal law can have extraterritorial jurisdiction, meaning it can apply to foreign entities outside of the U.S. This often occurs when the actions of the foreign company have a significant impact on U.S. citizens, businesses, or interests. Now, another point is business activities. If Shein conducts business in the United States, such as selling products directly to U.S. consumers or operating a physical presence, like offices or warehouses, within the country, it may be subject to certain U.S. laws that regulate commerce and consumer protection. Another point is the international agreements. The United States has international agreements and treaties with various countries, including China. This can impact how laws are enforced and how disputes are resolved between companies in both nations. The other point, compliance with U.S. regulations. If SHEIN operates in the U.S. market or targets U.S. consumers, it may need to comply with specific U.S. laws and regulations, such as those related to product safety, labeling, intellectual property rights, privacy, and data protection. Lawsuits and Legal Proceedings U.S. citizens and entities could potentially file lawsuits against Xi'an in U.S. courts under certain circumstances. However, enforcing judgments against foreign entities can sometimes be challenging, depending on the legal framework and agreements between the countries involved. International trade and sanctions. The U.S. government can also impose trade restrictions, sanctions, or other measures on foreign companies, including those from China, for various reasons, such as national security concerns or violations of international agreements. Now, those were all the points of how they could have been sued or got that RICO charge. Now, what is Xin actually being accused of by the U.S. feds? This next part of explaining this is directly from NPR.org, okay? Massive e-commerce company Shein is being accused in a new lawsuit of violating the Federal Anti-Racketeering Act, RICO, by copying independent designers' works. Three artists, Krista Perry, Larissa Martinez, and Jay Barron, allege Shein made exact copies of their work without their knowledge. Behavior that is part of a larger pattern of unethical business practices, including decimating the environment, fostering unsafe working conditions, and avoiding paying taxes. And I quote, Sheehan has grown rich by committing individual infringements over and over again as part of a long and continuous pattern of racketeering, which shows no sign of abating. End quote. That was from their lawyers alleged in a complaint filed in a federal district court in California. Now, Perry is a designer and illustrator based in Massachusetts and made a copyrighted graphic design with the stylized words, make it fun on a pink background. Shein began selling it as a wall art. Perry then contacted the company through its site and Shein offered to pay her $500, which she refused. The complaint says. The company reached out to her the following year, asking her if she would like to contribute to a capsule collection for aspiring artists and offered her what sounded like significant money to be made, the complaint says. And they said, how dare you contact me after my artwork has been stolen and the hard time I was put through with the people at Shein to resolve it. Perry replied, Shein and its sister company, Romeway have stolen artwork from both myself and many of my hardworking friends and colleagues. The lawsuit also accuses Sheehan of stealing a floral blanket designed by Perry. Sheehan also allegedly stole one of Barron's designs, an embroidered name tag style patch that says, hello, I'm trying my best. And Martinez's design of a pair of overalls with orange daisies on them. Barron is the founder of Retrograde Supply Company, which sells stickers and patches, while Martinez is the owner and CEO of Miracle Eye, a Los Angeles-based clothing company that she operates with her mother and aunt. The RICO or Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations statute was enacted in 1970 to eliminate the infiltration of organized crime and racketeering into legitimate organizations operating in interstate commerce, the Department of Justice says. Racketeering is an umbrella term for crimes committed in business dealings such as murder, kidnapping, gambling, arson, robbery, bribery, and extortion. The designers have suffered substantial damage to their businesses in the form of diversion of trade, Loss of profits and a diminishment in the value of their products and reputations, the complaint says. Which I agree with. Xi'an Distribution Corp, Roadgett and Zotop are named as defendants in the suit. Xi'an Distribution is based in Delaware. Roadget and Zotop, based in Singapore and Hong Kong, respectively own Xi'an's worldwide trademarks and own and operate its mobile apps and websites. The lawyers say Sheehan's business model intentionally make it harder to pin down a defendant as the company is a decentralized and constellation of entities designed to improperly avoid liability, which I agree with them on that because they be trying to hide. Chen has faced several accusations of stealing designs in the past few years, including a crochet sweater and an enamel pin and earrings. But it can be difficult to settle lawsuits in the fashion industry because companies cannot copyright useful things, at least not in their entity, Julie Zerbo, a lawyer and fashion blogger, told NPR in, in 2021. Clothing is deemed as a utility item and therefore does not have as many protections, she said. As a result, lawyers can be hesitant to take on these types of cases because most lawyers would have accepted any minimal sum as compensation due to uncertainty about how to properly seek more appropriate remedies, the complaint says. Jeff Gluck, an attorney representing the designers in this lawsuit, said their law firm is currently fighting similar cases, which led to Perry, Martinez, and Barron Reaching out. We hope for a successful outcome that will have a positive impact on the global art and design communities that have long been at odds with Shein and the endless infringement allegations, he said. Now, with all of this information, what will happen? Well, the next steps, if it happens, is to officially charge Shein and hold the company accountable for its unethical actions. But sadly, as of now, no one knows what will happen nor what will be the future of Xi'an. But I can say, as much as the American government has brainwashed everyone to despise China, because of that, they will most likely be held accountable. I mean, when was the last time you heard of any major company getting a recall charge? Exactly. This whole anti-Xi'an conspiracy could very well be the U.S. government staking its claim to keep American data for itself. Or it could be to solidify a simple distrust between the American consumer and a Chinese company in order to keep the American dollar on products that benefit the government's ideal U.S. companies. Now, if we look at what's been happening with Xi'an objectively, we can all infer that this kind of looks more like a smear campaign towards Xi'an because back-to-back allegations and controversies is pretty interesting that anti-China propaganda going around the world, especially with America putting kids in cages and losing thousands more after, like what more high ground do these countries really have against China? None, in my opinion. Now, that was just my own conspiracy theory, so don't take it personal. And maybe the reason Shein is secretive is because the company doesn't want us to know they're violating international laws and ethics. Or maybe Shein is just a company not giving out their formula to success while dominating the fast fashion industry and keeping sensitive information to themselves. And maybe America is trying to flip this into outrage, but only time would tell, guys. Now, that's the end of this intense, long, detailed, but worth it video. Thank you so much for watching chapter four of It Girl and Crime, Murder, and Mystery. I hope this has been a very captivating episode for you all. And thank you for listening. Now, sound off in the comments. Is fast fashion killing our planet? Should Chien be officially charged with the RICO Act? And were those weird-ass influencers in the wrong for believing misinformation? Comment and let me know. Subscribe, like, and follow on all platforms with this QR code here on the screen, or use the links in the description box. See y'all next Monday for Chapter 5, where I discuss a topic of murder. Hasta luego!